Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. The Christian life is the greatest life that anyone can live. It's the greatest adventure that any person can experience. The Christian life is the most supernatural life that a person can live in in this world. It is a life that is supernatural because of the Word of God, the living Word of God that is in the Bible and that is taken by the Spirit, transported into our hearts and and nurtured there. It is a supernatural life in its power. And we've seen how it is that God comes into our lives by the Spirit and He gives us both the will to do, He gives us the desire to live the life that God wants us to live, but he doesn't leave us there. He couples with that desire the power then to live the life that God has called us to. So it's supernatural in its power. But the Christian life is also supernatural in its gifting so that as Christians, God gives us spiritual gifts in order that, in the words of verse 7, each of our lives might be characterized by the supernatural of the Holy Spirit. That people would look at our lives and there wouldn't be a way of just looking at natural talents and abilities and assets and liabilities and pull out a yellow, you know, uh, pad and list all of these things and be able to explain the life that we're living uh, on the basis of the purely the natural. But that God has come into our life endeavoring that there would be a manifestation of the Spirit in us, a revelation of the Spirit in us, that people would look at us and see the gifts, the spiritual gifts that He's put into our lives and realize that doesn't come from them. That comes from someone greater than them. That comes from the God who lives inside of them. And so our lives are to be characterized as Christians by the supernatural and by supernatural spiritual gifts. And they are real. I've been a Christian since 1980. And I don't know how many what the Bible calls winds of doctrine have blown through professing Christianity, the body of Christ at large in the United States over the course of those 26 years. But it has been a lot of them. And so there's this little weird doctrine that comes up or this little, you know, attempt to tap into the things of the Holy Spirit or the supernatural of God that happens over here. And then uh, so often they're illegitimate and they're unbiblical and so they can't carry the weight that people try to build on them and so they collapse and then the search goes on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and a person can literally in the spiritual environment of the United States because it's as much a spiritual smorgasbord uh, even within professing Christianity as you'll ever find uh, in a grocery store in terms of lima beans or cookies or cereals or anything. You can find what you want today. But this going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing uh, 
And so often as I watch it, I wonder, especially with young Christians and younger people, and uh, there's that desire, should be in all of us, that desire to experience the fullness of God, the desire to make a difference in the world, and uh, a desire to experience the supernatural of, of the Christian life. And there's all of these things. And then sometimes in an attempt to tap into the, you know, supernatural of, of the Christian life, we can find ourselves, you know, trying to tap into the, uh, again, Ill, uh, 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 the illegitimate and the un, unbiblical and, and that whole search going on. Instead of spending our time really enjoying an unbelievably rich supernatural life that's found right on the top of the pages of, of the Bible in the form of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but also in the form of, of spiritual gifts. And so perhaps our time this morning in the Word will protect some of us from being drawn into the unbiblical and illegitimate experiences and, and direct us toward what we know is real and will never disappoint us. Now notice in verses 6, 7, and 11 that the Bible teaches, just as clear as can be, that every single Christian is supernaturally gifted by God. Now, let's, let's read the verses and note them. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit in the form of a spiritual gift is given, and then these three words are circleable, either literally or in your mind. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Notice in verse 11. By one in the same Spirit, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, here it is, to each one individually as he wills. Notice in verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all, and then notice, in all. He is saying by the Spirit of God every way that you can say it, and that is, Every single born-again Christian, and there is no other one, every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift given to them by God. And the tendency can be to think, yes, I believe that about the entirety of the rest of the body of Christ. I'm just not sure about it concerning uh, me. I'm talking to you <laughs> and myself. If you're a Christian... The Bible, I've laid it right out there for you. You have at least one spiritual gift given to you. You are supernaturally gifted by God. Some spiritual gift that God has given to you in order that you might be supernaturally equipped to accomplish God's call upon your life. When we trusted in Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit came inside of our lives and that's wonderful. I'd be happy with that. I, wasn't, I didn't need a door number two or anything else like that. But the Bible teaches that he did even more than that for us. That when he came into our lives, he's not only provided us with everlasting life and power, but he has also brought into our life at least one spiritual gift. Some gift that allows our service to him and our Christian life to be supernaturally fruitful. For example, if he calls someone to be a pastor, he probably would couple with that calling some spiritual gifts. 
at least one, but probably need a little more than one for those guys. They're the, they're the worst in the class. So they have to couple with a person that's called as a pastor, a gift of teaching. And then probably be good for him to have a, a word of uh, the gift of prophecy. Be good for him to have discerning of spirits, to oversee uh, a particular flock. If he called someone to be an evangelist, it would be very, very good for an evangelist to have the gifts of word of wisdom and word of knowledge. It would be good for an evangelist also to have the gift of faith, that when he walks across that platform or he goes to talk, walks across a bus station to talk to someone, he is absolutely convinced that God is going to honor this message that he he carries, not because he just promises to in his word, but that he has been sent there specifically in that event to do what it is that he's done. If a person's called as a deacon in a church, for instance, it would be good that coupled with that calling would be a gift of mercy, a gift of helps, a gift of, of giving, a gift of administration would be handy. If he calls someone in the body of Christ and God's calling upon this person's life is as a general contractor out in the culture. And that's what God has called this person to be. As much as he's called a pastor to be a pastor, he's called this person to be a general contractor in his will and for his glory. He would need to then perhaps couple with that calling the gift of exhortation, the gift of leading, the gift of administration, if he calls a man or a woman as a nurse and, and he wants that person not just to be the greatest nurse that they can be, but that there would be a supernatural about their life by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he could then add to their life the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, a gift of administration. Now notice in verse 11 that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts as He wills. God knows what He has called us, each one of us, to, and what He's called us to be and do for Him in our homes and in our schools and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our church and anywhere that we are in life. And knowing what He's called us to do and to be, he has also given us a, at least one gift, perhaps even more, that are necessary to accomplish his calling. Now notice in verse 8, the Apostle Paul goes on to speak about uh, some of these gifts. And he speaks of one gift in verse 8 that he calls the word of knowledge. I know he begins with the word of wisdom. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But you notice there in verse 8, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is when God takes and reveals to a person a piece of information, uh, a fact to them supernaturally that they could not otherwise know. They know it solely because God has given them revelation related to this in the form of a word of knowledge. They only know it because the Holy Spirit has shown it to them in a word of knowledge. Classic example of this is in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 4 when he was at the well where the Samaritan woman was at the well. And Jesus is engaged in conversation with her. She's going to end up safe, so relax. 
But he's, he's engaged in a conversation with her and, and all, and, uh, and she's got a little bit of a history in her life that she's uh, kind of protective of, of not letting everybody know. I think we all understand that. But they're talking for a little while, and then Jesus says, why don't you go call your husband? And the woman says, I have no husband. Now, that wasn't the whole story. <laughs> She'd had husbands. She just didn't currently have one. So she's protecting. You know, I'd probably do the same kind of a thing. And Jesus, uh, wanting to get down to, you know, the bottom of things with, with her, he then spoke to her and said, you've well said that I have no husband. I mean, you're, you're truthful uh, up to that point. But then he said, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have or you're living with is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. That's a word of knowledge on, on that scene. Her reaction to this supernatural revelation that she knew he couldn't know, apart from, from the Spirit there, is she said, sure, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was clearly seen. You remember in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira kind of put this plan together where they sold some property and then they, they took the money and uh, they were going to give some of it to the church and some of it they were going to hold for their own selves, which God was perfectly fine with. They could have kept all of it for themselves. They didn't have to give anything or they could have given all of it or some, you know, something in between the two. But what they did is they took the portion that they were going to give to the early church there and they gave the appearance that they were giving all. And what they were doing is they were introducing hypocrisy into the early church. And Peter, knowing nothing of this, when Ananias comes forward to take and put the offering down as everybody else is bringing their offerings and all, Peter stands up and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? He knew that on the basis of a word of knowledge. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. It was not a natural knowledge that he had. I think about Jeremiah chapter 32 where uh, Jeremiah is uh, ministering uh, to the Lord and the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and he said, uh, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, uh, will come to you saying, By my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. And so that's the word God gives, uh, gives to Jeremiah. Uh, you know, Hanamiel's going to come to you and he's going to offer you as the kinsman redeemer to buy his land. And then we're told as the passage goes on, then Hanamiel, my uh, uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. And so he received a word of knowledge a piece of information he could not have known apart from the Spirit of God. And then Hanamiel does exactly as God said he would in the word of knowledge. And then I love it because uh, Jeremiah is so vulnerable. He doesn't say, and I, I knew it was going to happen. I got this hotline right to heaven, and I know when God... But he said, when this all happened, he said, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Sometimes you're not sure until... It actually happens there. That is a word of knowledge. Now, a word of wisdom, he talks about in verse 8 too, 
is knowledge rightly applied. And when it talks about this word of wisdom, it's not natural wisdom, but it's supernatural wisdom that God gives for a given situation. So often we can be in the middle of something, we have knowledge, we have all of the facts about what's going on, maybe we even have received a word of knowledge from, from the Lord, and now we wonder, well, what do I do with this information? And wisdom is the who, what, where, when, why, and hows of, of, of life. A great example is, again, with Jeremiah and, and Hananiel. God says, he's going to come to you. As you're the kinsman redeemer, he's going to offer you the, the opportunity to buy this, this piece of property. That's the word of knowledge. That he's going to come and make this offer. But what Jeremiah doesn't know is, is he supposed to buy it or not? Or is he going to offer it and I shouldn't purchase it? And the word of wisdom is follows the word of knowledge, he's going to offer it, the word of wisdom is, buy that piece of property. And, and, and so that's how it works. Silly illustration, let's say someone comes up to you and uh, says, I've got a word of knowledge for you. Uh, God has spoken to me and he has revealed that someone's going to come up to you in the next week and uh, offer you a million dollars. Well, that's a supernatural fact. That if, if it is true, that's a supernatural fact that you, uh, you know, couldn't otherwise know. You don't have, you know, uh, several uncles that are the age of, of the Supreme Court justices and, and uh, that something like this could kind of cluster and happen and you'd end up with a million dollars. So here you've got this piece of information that this is coming your way and, and all. And uh, the word of wisdom would be now... Uh, what do I do with a million dollars when it's offered? Do I decline it? You say, what, who in their right mind would decline? I, I, know, I know one man early in, in his ministry in terms of what God was doing through his life in the middle of a building project. Somebody came, offered a million dollars to him toward that. He declined it after seeking the Lord in prayer on it because he felt that then for the rest of his ministry, everyone would say that it happened because of, of that particular thing. So he had specific direction uh, not to take it. But uh, we, we tend to rebuke those thoughts uh, in our mind. So, so the, word of knowledge, the word of wisdom following the word of knowledge might be, this is going to be offered to you. Go ahead and accept that and now use it in this way. Remember in the early church in Acts chapter 15, they had all these Judaizers going around, legalists, trying to bring the body of Christ under the law of Moses and telling everybody, that the men, that they ought to be circumcised and bringing them back under works instead of, of just simple faith in Jesus as a means of, of having a right standing before God. And, and so uh, Paul takes, and this has become such a crisis everywhere, that he comes and to Jerusalem talking to the apostles that are kind of gathered there, and he begins to lay the whole thing out to them. And God gives, in that passage, he gives the apostles, and specifically James, what is essentially a word of wisdom. And James rises up after they've all been talking and, and everything, and he rises up and he says, and, and they agree with it, but we write to them, the Gentiles that have been saved, 
They don't have to keep the law of Moses or be circumcised, but we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. And then they, it goes on in the passage to read, For so it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. God gave them a supernatural word of wisdom about a specific situation that they were in. Remember Jesus when they were always trying to trap him, the religious leaders, and uh, so they came up to him and they said, Should we pay taxes to Rome or not? And there was no good answer for that. In their mind for Jesus, they had trapped him because if as a Jewish rabbi he said, yes, we need to pay taxes to Rome, then the Jews, because they felt Rome was, they were occupiers, that he would look as if, you know, he was pro-Rome and anti-Jewish in the whole thing. If he came and said, no, don't pay any taxes to Rome, then they would have run to the Roman officials and said, this guy's teaching insurrection against Rome and you better throw him in prison or crucify him or something. And, and so they, it was like a, a lose-lose to him. And then what did Jesus do? Beautiful. It's just a word of wisdom here on what to do in the situation. He didn't, he, he didn't go down either path that they thought they had forced him on. We gave you a yes or no question. Would you kindly ask? And Jesus didn't always do that. Uh, would you kindly answer yes or no? He said, somebody got a coin here. And they gave him a coin, and the coin had Caesar's image on it. And he said, whose image is on it? Caesar's image is on it. He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God. Don't be afraid to pay taxes to Caesar. You're just giving him what his image is on. You're only giving him money. But make sure nobody, you don't give what God's image is on, and that is you, your life to Rome. You make sure that that goes to God. And it just, boy, rats again, you know, for those religious leaders. But it was just that word of wisdom in the situation. And sometimes God works these word of wisdom and word of knowledge uh, together at the same time. I remember when I was a, a new Christian and, uh, uh, and I went, we did a lot of street witnessing. And uh, there was a guy by the name of Jim who knew the Lord quite a bit longer than I did and all. And uh, we went out. On, in Napa, California on a street called Jefferson Street, which is the equivalent of our McHenry here. And uh, so busy street, Friday, Saturday nights and all, and uh, people all along the street, especially on the north end. And so we began to walk from my house, and it was a couple miles, and we're just sharing the Lord with everybody that we're running into and uh, giving them tracks and talking and different things. And we get up uh, to the north end, and we're talking 1981 right in there. And, uh, you know, there, there wasn't even, nobody even knew that Starbucks was coming. I mean, it was just a gleam in somebody in Seattle's eye. But, um, you know, and, and McDonald's were relative, you know, you, you had to actually drive pretty far to get to one, and we had one in that town. But in the north end, that's where everybody hung out. Big parking lot in McDonald's, all these cars. Gasoline was just prohibitively expensive, and uh, we had no idea what it would become uh, today. But anyway, so the cars are all lined up. And people, you know, the guys and the gals, everybody's sitting on their cars and the hoods and watching people go by. And it's a whole thing, American Graffiti deal and all. So we're just, we're witnessing to people. And uh, 
Jim, we're just going along just minding our own business. Just looks like anything that, that God could or could not be involved in. And uh, so Jim takes and he locks onto this, this guy, just looks at him. He doesn't look any different than any of the other hundred guys sitting around out there. Just got the blue jeans and he's there and don't bother me and leave me alone. I'm just doing my thing out, out here. And uh, Jim looks at him and, and he, said, he said, wait a second. He said, he said, your girlfriend just broke up with you. And he starts to go through three or four or five different facts. Boom, boom, boom. Word of knowledge related to this guy's life. Now, this is why the Lord sends him out in twos. And uh, so, great pillar of faith that I was. Jim starts to do that. And I think to myself, what are you doing? We know the gospel's legitimate. And we, all they do is just accept it or reject it. And we walk away. But they don't think we're nuts. If you're wrong on this, we're going to look like the stupidest people in Napa. That's, that was what I... I wasn't even praying for Jim as he was doing all this stuff. I was... Just pillar of faith. So I just look and say, this seems super risky because what if you're wrong? Then he's going to, what's he going to think about the gospel on that? And then he, and he said, here's what the Lord wants you to do. And, and every one of those things was right. And that guy, I mean, you're talking about what would be the busiest place, you know, maybe down by the Brendan theaters or something with, and a whole bunch of stuff is happening down there at, at, at the same time, just kneeling right there. And it didn't kneel, but it stood right there, bowed his head, and accepted the Lord in front of everyone else. And it was just a word of, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, manifesting to this guy that God is real, God is in this guy, and listen to what it is that, that he's saying. He talks about the gift of faith in, in verse 9, and that's supernatural faith where God gives you a gift and a calling, and then he gives you the supernatural faith uh, to accomplish that calling. And uh, it's, it's beyond, you know, normal faith. We have, all of us who know the Lord, we have saving faith. And, and the Bible talks about, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we've all received that kind of faith. There's a faith that comes by reading the Word uh, of God. Paul wrote and he said, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's available to everyone, those two faiths. But this is a special faith for special events, special things that God calls us to. I think about Elijah on Mount Carmel. I mean, calling down, he challenges the prophets of Baal and cutting up the animal and the, and the sacrifices and calling to answer by fire. And this is the one is, is, the, is God and all. There's a gift of faith behind that. He didn't do that just every day. God had told him to do that and then gave him the gift of faith to do that. I think about Peter. We go into the New Testament related to that gift. And remember uh, Peter and John, they're going to the temple. Uh, to pray at the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon, and they go by the beautiful gate, one of the beautiful gates that goes into it was called the beautiful gate. That's how beautiful it was. And they're going up into the temple area to pray, and there's a man who's been lame from his mother's womb. I mean, he's never, he's never known what it was to have his ankles or his feet carry his weight, never known what that sensation is like. And, and he's lame from his mother's womb, and every day they take him and they plop him out in front of that, that particular gate because people tend to be generous when they're coming or going related to God. And, uh, and, and so they put him there, and he begs all through the day in the hopes that he'll be able to beg enough money to live for another day and to do the same thing over again the next day. And so Peter and John are walking by, and they stop, 
And, they, and, and Peter looks at this guy. And when Peter looks at this guy, he says to the guy, look at me. Now, this guy has to know, all right, there's probably some money in this. And he, and because he's got the guy's attention, which is one of the biggest things to do in this whole deal. So he's got this guy's attention. Peter says, look at me. He looks up at him, and then Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none. His heart had to absolutely sink. What, are you going to give me, a tuna sandwich? You know, <laughs> what am I here for? Get out of the way and make room for someone who will give me silver and gold. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he takes the guy by the right arm, lifts him up out of the place, and then immediately at that moment God touches him, gives strength to his feet and his ankles, and he begins to walk and he begins to jump and he begins to dance. Peter didn't do that to every lame beggar outside of every gate in Jerusalem every day. But he did there. And the reason he did is God gave him a word of knowledge to stop and talk with this guy, to say these things, and then the faith associated with that, that God was going to heal him. And sometimes it just operates that way. And I think if God gives you the gift of, uh, he, the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, there's some risk involved in this. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we, we don't have the scientific proof behind this prompting that we're having by the Holy Spirit. And we wouldn't do it unless God coupled with that a gift of faith to do it that is so strong, the gift of faith, that if you don't obey it to do what God is saying, you know that you disobeyed. You know that you passed up something he was wanting you to do. And I, I hope I'm not the only one that's ever experienced that, where God just tells you to do something, gives you this unbelievable faith to do it, it and you know his voice well enough, and you should, and you still pass on it. And then afterward, man, you know that I, I just, I've, I've just bumped everything he was wanting me to do out of the way in that, that situation. But that's how strong the gift of faith can be. Now, I, I think it's very important to understand about these nine gifts that he lists here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that except for the gift of tongues, God initiates every one of those in our lives however frequently he wants. If he gives you the a gift of a word of prophecy, you can't just prophesy anytime you want to prophesy. It doesn't work that way. He operates it through you. And he may have you prophesy for 17 days straight in one situation or another, and then he may not prophesy again through you for another two years. That's his business. But that's your gift. That's a gift that you have. He, he's the one that initiates these things in our life. None of us, if you have the gift of a word of, word of knowledge, you can't initiate a word of knowledge in and of yourself or it ceases to be a supernatural word of knowledge. God has to do that. Notice in verse 9, there is the gifts of healings. Now, this is not referring to talented doctors, though we love talented doctors. But, but this is when God uses a Christian to channel a supernatural healing, 
into the life of another person that's in need of healing. The Gospels are filled with illustrations of it. The book of Acts filled with illustrations of it. Then he talks in verse 10 about the working of miracles. Again, the Gospels and the book of Acts filled with examples of the miraculous. Jesus turning water into wine. Peter taking and raising up Dorcas from the dead. Remember Paul when he's there on the island of Malta and it's raining and they got a fire going. He's picking up sticks and a viper attaches to his hand. And all the natives looked and said, he survived the shipwreck. He must be really bad. God must really hate that guy because he didn't get to kill him in that shipwreck. So he's going to kill him with a viper. And then what does Paul do? He shakes it into the fire, which is it's a good place for snakes, I think, for most of us. But into the fire. And they're all waiting for him to swell up and fall over dead. And he doesn't. And it's miraculous what God has done in his life. And you remember what, what happens in all of these miracles. People recognized that God is alive, God is real, and uh, God is alive in our lives. Then he talks about prophecy in verse 10. And, and to, to prophesy, we think of prophecies as something that uh, tells the future, it foretells. But it can have that element to it sometimes. But when the Bible speaks of prophecy, it means to tell forth. It means to speak forth for God. And when a person has a a gift of prophecy, it is God's Holy Spirit speaking forth through that that human instrument. And the greatest definition for it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, where Paul said, And he who prophesies speaks first edification and exhortation, and comfort to men. When someone speaks for God under the gift of prophecy, they're prophesying for God, there will be edification, the listeners will be built up, there will be exhortation, they'll be stirred up, and then comfort, they'll be lifted up. These are the elements related to prophecy. It's more than preaching and it's more than teaching. It is when God gives you supernaturally so the right thing to say at the right moment for a given situation. It is speaking forth what God wants to have said in that audience or that situation in that environment at that moment in time. All prophecies to be tested by the Word of God as, as an aside. Well, just last Sunday night, we were having communion as a part of our, our evening Bible study. And this is always the case when we have communion and also about the Bible study. I just say, Lord, what do you, how, how do you want me to introduce the elements, the symbol of Jesus' body and of his blood? And uh, there, there are literally 20 different ways that you could talk about related to things. More than that, what do you want me to say about him and, and about what this is all about. Anything you want to say to me about that, you know? And I felt that he had spoken to me a couple things related to that, but specifically on the cup. And, uh, and as, as I'm sitting there and, and, and at home and, and praying related to things, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, well, I want you to communicate with the cup is that to, to my people is, is that by trusting in my son, They have done the single greatest thing that they can do to bless me. And that he is blessed by our faith in his son. And as we just continue 
to be faithful in our relationship with God, no matter what the obstacles are, no matter what the loneliness is or the difficulty is, that that blesses God's heart. Just a simple little thing, just like that, 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 that he would want to say. And so I did it on that. Wednesday night, I'm at a meeting during the week here, and a, a woman speaks to me, and she says it was interesting related to the communion service on Sunday night. She said, when you took and raised the cup, she said, the Lord spoke to me and said, now listen, this is for you. And then exactly what was spoken was what it was that she needed to hear. Now that dynamic may have happened all over the room, but it happened for her. And it's simply a prophecy. It is more than just giving out spiritual facts and these kinds of things. It's God speaking for the moment what's on his heart to say to this group of people or this person in, in this particular situation. So I, I love to be the hero of all my illustrations, so I wanted to share. But I, I can't use anybody else's illustrations, so there you have it. And then, and then verse 10, discerning of spirits. And this is literally it means to see through or to distinguish. Now, discerning of spirits is not a judgmental spirit or someone who has natural instinct. There can be a natural instinct that something's not quite right here in this, this situation. But this is different than that. This is a divine revelation regarding the spirit that is behind something that's happening before our eyes or what we're listening to. There are three different spirits that operate in this world. There's the demonic spirits, the spirit of the devil. There is um, the human spirit that it works. And then there's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the the spirit of man can operate in a way that is so carefully orchestrated that it, to look like a spirit of God that you outwardly couldn't know that it isn't the spirit of God, that it's the spirit of man that's operating, or a demonic spirit that can be operating on things. And, and, and so it, this is one where the Holy Spirit gives discernment supernaturally of the spirit behind what it is that's happening. Now, every single Christian has a discernment that comes by the Holy Spirit. We have a teacher in us that helps us with that. John writes about that in his, in his first uh, letter. The Word of God provides us with discernment. But sometimes there can be situations that occur where everything sounds right and everything looks right and we would all be fooled by it except God gives someone a supernatural revelation of His Spirit to what the true Spirit is behind what's going on here. Remember Paul in the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16? First, first um, uh, European city that the Gospel comes to. And he's being very, very effective there in sharing the Gospel. And as he and others are, are bringing the gospel to the city and all, there's this young slave girl that's following him around and is broadcasting to everyone, these are the servants of the Most High God who have come to share with us the way of salvation. Now the problem is, and Paul doesn't know it, but the city knows it, is that this girl is demon-possessed. And, and her owners, the slave owners, are making a fortune off of her on the demon possession. 
So she's walking around. She looks like the real thing. She's saying all the right words, but it's going to produce confusion for the people in Philippi because they're going to think that the spirit that's in this girl and everybody knows that's in this girl that's been around Philippi for a while and the demonic spirit is, this, is endorsing this thing that Paul and the others are doing and it's all going to get muddied in their mind. And Paul takes and turns to this girl, and he casts the demon out of her. And though everything looked right, everything sounded right, he knew that it wasn't the Holy Spirit working through her life. And he cast the demon out. It's discerning of spirits, and it's needed in the body of Christ today. Then he talks in verse 10 about tongues and interpretation of tongues. And that's such a clear subject, and there's no controversy associated with it. We won't even uh, address it. I'll probably address it on its own in another session. So let's move to chapter 12, all the way down to verse 28, where it talks about the gift of helps. And, and th that word literally means to take by the hand, where you come alongside and you just help somebody. And, and here is a supernatural, God-given burden for the needy, for the afflicted, for the poor, for the sick. And not every, we should all have a burden for that, but not everyone has the level of burden that someone with the gift of helps has. And these are the people that run the gospel mission. These are the people that run food pantries in town and in a church. These are the people that, you know, go and they find out that here is a, a single woman in the fellowship with children and the hinges are coming out of the door and it's not a secure situation on the house and they fix that up or they change the oil for the person and, and those kinds of things. And, and when an evangelist let's say whoever they are, gets done with an evangelistic crusade and 20,000 people come forward to receive the Lord in that environment. When that evangelist walks away from that, there's a feeling he has in his heart at being used by God in that way. But do you know that someone with a gift of helps, when they fix that door and they get it on new hinges and they get those screws down into good solid wood in the door frame and they get in their car and they drive away they have just as great a feeling inside of them over what it is that they've done in light of God's gifting upon their their life you put some people into a place where the gift of helps is needed and without the gift they'll burn out after a time you put that kind of person a person that has that gift in in their life and they will love it and it'll be a great reward to them then there's the gift of administrations verse 28 as a word the, the Greek word that's used there is one that was used of a navigator on a ship so it speaks of someone who steers or directs so here's someone with a spiritual gift that knows how, for instance, to steer or direct a church through difficult waters or to stay on track with what a church is supposed to be. And it's a gift that they have to do that, to keep things organized on course. You want your board members to have this gift. You want the administrative staff on a church to have that gift. There are some of us, you walk in a room and there on a desk is a three-foot-high stack of papers that constitute the biggest mess in Modesto that needs to be sorted out and fixed. If someone like me looks at it and, and I, I go home sick, I don't want anything to do with it. And someone with a gift of administration looks at it. Their eyes 
get all lightened up, little drool out of the right. They go down and get a big giant thing of coffee, you know, and they head in there, and they can't wait to tear into it. That's the gifting that they have. God bless those people too. Otherwise, the whole place would be just a bit, a big, a big mess. Now, and then in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 7, he talks about the gift of ministry. We get, it's, uh, 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 we get our word deacon from that particular word in the original language. So you've got people that are like pastors or teachers. They're declaring the truth. And here is with a, with a deacon or with someone with a gift of ministry, this is the gift of practicing the, the truth, physically serving the, the people. So deacons need to have that. People that are helping in the physical things around a church or in the community, they, they, they love to do uh, those, those kinds of things as very, very rewarding to them. They are as happy. When, when somebody that takes in a Bible study, say on Wednesday night, maybe you're attending one of the Bible studies, and, and the person gets done with the Bible study, whether in the children's church or wherever it might be and all, and that person is, is satisfied, the Spirit met with us, we declared the truth of God's Word, and, uh, and people seem to be blessed by that and all of that, and they'll walk out excited and happy about that, and the, the person with this gift of ministry is sitting in the back of the room, and everybody's got a chair to sit in the temperature's right in the room there's no junk all over the floor and all those things and the people had a nice environment to come in and to worship God in and then leave they're as blessed as anyone that will ever teach a Bible study because it's a gift that's in, in their life and then there's the gift of teaching where God supernaturally enables someone to make the Bible simple and to make it understandable and then in verse 8, he talks about the gift of exhortation. And this is the gift that stirs people up and, and kind of gets them going a little bit. It's an encouraging gift, but it also makes people get going. So you can do a Bible study where you take something and say, I want you to notice three things out of this particular passage. And you lay them out, one, two, three, and all of them are historically true. And you walk away and there's, uh, you have a good technical knowledge of the passage. That's perfectly uh, fine. But the, the person with the gift of exhortation will look and say, well, here it is, is what this passage is teaching. Now, come on, let's roll up our sleeves and put our boots on and let's go out there and live this kind of a life in all. And they, and they make you want to do it. I mean, you, their heart, your heart is stirred. Come on, let's go. And that, that's a gift of exhortation. It's always nice when, when someone's got teaching and exhortation as a gift. Then there's the gift of giving. People get a little scared here in, in verse 8 about that. But that's a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit where people are gifted by God to give. Now somebody says, well, the reason I don't give to the church is I'm not gifted. Everyone is called to support the work of the Lord with the tithes and offerings. But here are these folks where God has called them to give financially to, to the church and, 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 and the work of the Lord or to individual people and what they're in the middle of and all of these things. And they have a very, very spiritual understanding of money. They, they know it's amoral. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not good. It's not bad in and of itself. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But money's a tool. And it's either good or bad on the basis of what it's used for. And these people understand that you need money to do certain things and that it's not an unspiritual area. So they look and hear somebody over here 
in their life and they're a, a young person and they're wanting to go on a short-term mission trip and they're holding down two jobs and they're trying to save for it and it looks like they're going to come up $300 short of being able to do the thing they find out about it and, uh, and, and, and seek the Lord related to it and they meet that need. Or there's a missionary that's going out into the field long-term and all and the first thing that will come to their mind is you're going to need money to do that. And they get it. They understand that. They understand it about a church, that certain things take money and, and in order to do it. And that these are spiritual things, but it requires money uh, for it to happen. So when they become aware of a, of a physical need, a financial need, and they're more than become aware of it, they actually look for it so, so often. They take it immediately to prayer and then seek God's direction about being involved in it. And you don't have to be rich to do it, to have this gift. God takes and he gives however much resources he wants to flow through a person's life. And so it's the gift of giving. It's a very quiet, as, I, as I've watched it in the body of Christ, uh, the, the chairs that we sit on, the building that we're in, all around the facility, things that go out all around the world, way beyond this place, a lot of the things that we enjoy, they're the result of the tithes and offerings of God's people, of all of us. But a lot of them are blessings that are ours because of the gift of giving. And no one will ever know but God. They just do it so discreetly and, and all. And it's an important gift. And then there's the gift, verse 8, of leading. And, and some people are spiritually gifted by God to lead. And, uh, and, and, and other people are not. And that's perfectly fine. But, but uh, there is the need for the gift of leading in the body of, of Christ. Uh, if you have the gift of leading, uh, here's an environment that will drive you crazy. Where you walk into, let's say you were to walk into a Bible study someplace, hopefully not here. But you're to walk in and, you know, it's supposed to start at 7 and it's 7.20 and there aren't any chairs out and... Nobody knows what room to go to meet in this thing at all, and then nobody knows who's leading the thing and the whole, and it just looks like slop, you know. I mean, there's no, and, and what you, a person with a gift of leading looks at is this, who's leading here? Somebody needs to lead this thing. It looks like a big bowl of oatmeal. There's no backbone. There's no movement. Come on, you know, and so you ha somebody has to lead on this stuff, and, the, and that's a gift, and that's a good gift. In, in the body of Christ. Now, one of the ways, of course, that you know whether you have the gift of leading or not is if you lead and you turn around to see who's following you, if people are following you, you might have a gift. If you turn around, it's just you, uh, you might want to uh, check the rest of the lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to see what God has really called you to. Then in verse 8, there's the gift of mercy. It's just encouragement where somebody comes along and side and just gives people mercy. Oh, if Job's three friends had just a sprinkling of this in their life, it would have been good. Just to come alongside uh, someone and just show mercy to them. You know, if I'm in the hospital, and, uh, and sometimes I, God can give me a good kick and get me going no matter what environment I'm in. So I'm not saying he can't use the gift of exhortation there. But... If I'm in that kind of a place and someone's visiting me, I want someone with a gift of mercy and toward me in the situation that I'm in. I don't want them to come in and tell me how much they enjoyed their run that morning. That's selfish, isn't it? 
If I'm in a convalescent hospital, I want someone with the gift of mercy to come and, and visit me. If I come up for prayer and my whole world has fallen apart and the whole collapse, just like Job, I mean, everything gone in a day, I don't know what, you know. And I want someone with the gift of mercy to minister to me. Now let me close with this. How in the world do I know which gift I have? That's the big question, isn't it? This is a great question. How in the world do I know what gift I have? See Pastor Garth. He will tell you. <laughs> I'm just picking on him because he's a safe target. I could choose any of the guys on, on things. There is no easy one, two, three step and then boom, right there, and, that, and then you find out what your gift is. But there's a couple things that can, I think are helpful for discovering what, what our gift is. Number one, seek the Lord in prayer about it. Lord, what's my gift? I saw it. I saw it with my own two eyes. That guy showed me the three verses. He says, every one of us got a gift. I don't have the foggiest idea what my gift is. Do you help me? Give me some revelation related to this. Then the second thing is, verse 31 of chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians, desire earnestly the best gifts. God, God help us as Christians to be more than open to these things. The early church and the tone of the early church toward the gifts of God and the things of the Spirit was a earnestly desiring anything that God has for us. Because if He's got it for us, it must mean that we need it. So to have that earnest desire for the best gifts, what are the best gifts? Depends on His calling on your life, which means the best gift for you may be different from the other guys, so we can't compare ourselves among ourselves because it's not wise, Paul said. Then the other thing is is to know and be confident that God wants you to be operating in the gift that he's given you more than you want to be operating in it. And you want to operate in it bad because you're desiring earnestly the best gift. And that helps us just to relax. God, you've given me a gift, and I need you to walk me into that and to begin to experience it because I couldn't do it on my own and to be confident that he will do that. Then I think, number four, be sensitive to that soft spot in, in your heart that the Lord has brought into your life. There was a time where Jesus was, they brought a guy to Jesus, and uh, he was deaf, and he couldn't, uh, he couldn't speak clearly. And uh, they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus took, very interesting, he took the guy, and he grabbed the guy's tongue. And the, and the Bible says that before he began to pray for this man, he's going to end up okay, by the way. Before he ends up praying for this guy, it says, and Jesus sighed. I mean, it's just in the face of all of the need in the world because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. This, it was like this one just made him sigh on top of everything else. And I think it's good to ask... Where, do we, where does Jesus sigh inside of us? Some people look at uh, children. Some people look at young people in the world today and how crazy everything is. And God has given you a soft spot for them and ministering to them and, and serving them. Others of you, and this certainly happened to me, is I got saved and I started to learn the Bible and I just wanted everybody to know everything that I was learning. Not all in one sermon. That's a problem I have. But I mean, I wanted them to know everything that I, that I knew on, on, on things. And so, that, but there can be behind that a, a calling to teach. 
Someone else looks and says, listen, I'm coming to this church and all, and I, and I appreciate how neat and clean it is. Do you know there are people with a gift of teaching that will never notice how neat and clean this place is? But someone with a gift of, of helps and ministry will notice it. And I want to make sure that that's right and all. Follow the soft spot there in, in, in your heart for the hungry, for evangelism, those that don't, don't know the gospel yet and, and all, all of these, these kinds of things. Maybe you're concerned about the public schools. You could volunteer for an afternoon uh, a month to help in your child's classroom because you have the gift of helps in administration because these gifts don't all operate on church property. They don't even all have to operate in the context of a church. They operate wherever God has put us in, in the world. And then, with that soft spot in your heart, and the leading of the Spirit, just take a step out in faith in it, and then look for fruit. And if you see fruit, you've stumbled onto your gift. You've been directed into that. If you don't see fruit, then look for, for where it is that you know, you haven't hit your gift yet, so keep, uh, keep searching on all that. Now here, that was my first close. I really close with this, and it really will be just a moment. This is an illustration that I heard um, years ago, and it just has helped me through the years, and, and I've shared it a few times through the years, so much so that I'm self-conscious about it, which is why I'm talking about it uh, at this moment. But I've never known anything that, that uh, illustration that's helped me better in this, this area. Let's say I invite you over to my house for dinner, and, uh, and I serve you a fabulous dinner. You define it in your own mind what it is that you want me to serve you and pretend you've had it. I, I like to be the hero of all my illustrations, so you've had it. And then we get done with dinner and everything and say, well, why don't we retire into the living room and have a, a cup of coffee? Not just any cup of coffee, but, you know, French roast super duper comes from outer space and only, you know, it's only on sale in one store in all of uh, uh, North America and only for one day of the week, and I got some on eBay for you. So we sit down and say, oh, I sure, uh, sure love to have that. So we sit down in the living room have a cup of coffee. And let's say I had a 10-year-old daughter, and she comes in with two cut saucers and, and two cups of coffee on it, and she comes to bring it in the living room, but there's a seam where the tile from the dining room comes up against the carpet, and she hits that, and both cups go up in the air, and it's Mama's best china, and they fall down, and coffee goes all over the place. The coffee cups are all uh, broken, and then everything's a mess all over the carpet. If you're sitting in my house, on my couch, and you watch that, you're going to have a reaction. It's going to go slow-mo on you, and you're going to have an immediate reaction to that. A person with a gift of prophecy probably would jump up, go over to the, my daughter and say, Honey, you fell, and a person can get hurt falling, and here's why you fell, you know, and this kind of stuff. A person with a gift of ministry or the gift of helps, they're going to jump up, and almost before the coffee hits the carpet... They're all the way to the sink in the kitchen grabbing a towel and some kind of a cleaner that takes coffee out of a carpet. Their immediate reaction will be, somebody's got to clean this thing up. That won't even enter into the mind of the prophet, but it enters into the mind of this person. 
The person with the gift of teaching, they'll come over there and they'll pick up one of the cups and the saucers that didn't break or something, and they'll, they'll take and say, let me show you how you hold a cup and you're going over a lip and like this. And someone with the gift of exhortation will say, come on, get that cup and that saucer. We're not going to quit on this. We're going to hit this thing right. Go back there, get another cup, and come back in here. You can do it. And, uh, and so they're all, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can, you know, and, and all. And, and then there's a, the person with the gift of leading or the gift of administration. They'll come in there and, and see, you know, what in the world? There's, you, you, there's a better seam that's available today to make that. And, he, and who put that coffee table there? And that, get that out of the way and get things the way. No wonder she spilled the coffee. Anybody would spill the coffee here. And they start to get everything fixed up. The person with the gift of giving, their first thought will be, I've got to pay for those cups that broke. To clean that. She's going to feel terrible that she broke those cups and put that stain in that carpet. And honestly, that will be their first thought. They won't think to clean it. They won't think to instruct her. They will think to take and address the deal financially. And then the person with the gift of mercy will come, and just wait, oh, you know, when I was 10 years old, one time, that happened to me too, you know, only I was, you know, serving the Tsar in Russia, and it was an even more, you know, kind of thing. And, but what happens is we have, sometimes God reveals things supernaturally, naturally, And there's a gift that's operating in our life that we're not even conscious of, that He has worked into our life. So I'm saying, don't overthink it. Look look at how God works through your life. And then then see if there isn't a thread there that begins to reveal the spiritual gift. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, as we end as we began, and that is with a confession from our heart here at 4300 American Avenue in Modesto, California, that we want to experience every single thing that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we don't want to set up our own definitions, our own ideas about what we will accept Christianity being or not being, the supernaturalness of it or not, or any of those things. You give individually as you will. Whatever you want us to have and to operate in, Lord, we pray that you would give that to us, that you would graciously identify the gift and gifts that you've placed within our lives, and then, Lord, help us to understand what they are, and then we ask, Lord, that you would take and nurture them to a place of fruitfulness and maturity in each one of our lives. I pray, Lord, for those that are new in the Lord here today in you, that they would be excited about this element of the Christian life, that they would desire earnestly these things that come from you. And, Lord, I pray for those of us who may be standing here today that we were once excited about them and seen too much abuse or too much this or that, or we've just grown cold to those things. And, Lord, I pray that you would return us back to a respectful, uh, God-honoring zeal related to this aspect of the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives for our own blessing, but for the blessing of a world that is waiting to see the supernatural in the lives of Christians. 
And we look to you for these things, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.